She continued to worship Baal as well, and now she had these 450 prophets of Baal. And so when Elijah killed them, she immediately put a contract out on his head and went after him and had other people actually go after him to find him, to kill him in like manner. Every creature is unique in the song that it sings, all exclaiming, indescribable, uncontainable. You place the stars in the sky and you know them by name. You are amazing, God. All powerful, untamable, all struck with. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining us. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher Rob Kellogg. As Pastor Rob begins chapter 19 in the book of 1 Kings, we learn that Jezebel heard about all that Elijah had done, including the great confrontation at Mount Carmel. Yet her response was not to say, the silence of Baal and the fire from Yahweh proved that I was wrong and Yahweh is God. Instead, she responded with the vow to kill within 24 hours the man who exposed the lie of Baal worship and displayed the glory of Yahweh. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he begins in verse 1 of chapter 19 in the book of 1 Kings. Let's pray. Lord, we just, uh, again, come before you, Lord. We thank you for the word of God. Thank you for this chapter, Lord. And, um, Lord, we pray that you would, Lord, open our hearts tonight, Lord, some sensitive issues, Lord, that will be discussed. And, Lord, I pray that you would just have your way. And, Lord, that you'd restore and renew us, Lord, in the power of your spirit, Lord. And regardless of what the world may think or what the world's response to us might be. Lord, help us to follow you and to trust you and to obey you in all that you say, Lord. And so, Lord, open our uh, minds and, and be glorified this night, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's open our Bibles to 1 Kings uh, chapter 18. We're going to look at 19, actually. But the week before last, we looked at the 18th chapter, and it was when Elijah really had his face-off, if you will, with the prophets of Baal, the 450 prophets of Baal in Mount Carmel, which is in the northwestern part of Israel. It's a very beautiful place. It overlooks the, the Valley of Jezreel, which many of us know as the Valley of Armageddon. And it really is a, a wonderful location. And when you're on top of Mount Carmel, you can look over to the west and you can see the Mediterranean Sea on a clear day. And you can look over to your east and you can see this valley um, that even Napoleon, I believe it says, uh, said this. He said, it's the perfect battleground. <laughs> The perfect battleground, and it certainly will be a battleground in the future, when Jesus returns to the earth physically in his second coming, there will be a battle of Armageddon there, and it will be a, a, a really horrible place. 
and uh, and that valley will be filled with blood. And um, but so this is where Elijah squared off with these Baal worshippers and these prophets of Baal. And you remember that he even uh, had them prepare a an altar and have fire on it and to put the sacrifice on it and the. The idea was that the God who called down fire upon the sacrifice was the God who is to be worshipped. And so there was immediately this uh, juxtaposition of Yahweh, God, Almighty God, the Creator, and then these, uh, and then Baal, who was this God of, of the storm and, and the fertility and the rain and the weather. And so there was this immediately, (laughs) this battle between the two. And the one that answered with fire, they all agreed that they would serve that God. And you remember, they set up the altar and they, uh, the prophets of Baal all waited upon their God to respond with fire for their sacrifice. Nothing happened. And Elijah uh, taunted them and said, you know, maybe your God is out taking a walk. You know, maybe he's busy. And, um, and, and it inflamed them and incited them even more so that they began to cut themselves in their worship to their God and began to dance on the altar and try to stir something up, to make something happen so that their God would respond. And of course, his God, their God did not respond because he's not really a God at all. He's a demon entity. In fact, all the idols of the Gentiles are demons. They're demons. They're, they're false gods. They're, they're, they're real entities, but they're no power. They have no power over God. And they certainly are not omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent like our God is. Our God wins. Our God is bigger. He's better. He's most, most glorious. He's b- bigger than any other God. Our Father is Almighty God. Never forget that. When you're going through difficulties, and maybe you've come in tonight and the the world is weighing heavy on your heart, never forget who your God is. He's the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He's the one who spoke uh, when there was nothing, and he spoke and things came into being. He's the one who has everything ordered just right. And it's not his fault what we see going on in our country and even in our world. It's not his fault. That is just the ramifications of man left to his own devices and separating himself from God. It reminds you of Psalm 2 where there's like this this cord between us and God. And I liken it to an umbilical cord between a a mother and, and their infant we, the, the, the baby receives the nutrients from the mother through this cord, but in Psalm 2 it says, let's cast the cord from us and let's do our own thing. Why do the nations, the heathen rage and the and nations imagine a vain thing? It makes no sense. And so if you're here tonight, know that God is Almighty God, and he, when he faces off with any other God, he has the ability to make that God, lowercase g, mute. Where well, that God cannot respond and is unable to respond because God is almighty. The Bible says that all power is on loan from God. The powers that be are ordained or ordered by God. 
So everything that we see is ordered by him. He's allowed power over here. He's allowed power over here. And, it's, and, and those people who wield that power are responsible for how they respond to it, how they administrate that power, and what they do with that power. And they're held accountable, and God will hold them accountable. But he allows man to do his own thing. And thank God all of us here tonight have come because we want to know God. You've known him for a long time. I know most of I know all of you in this room and I know that you love Jesus Christ. You've been here for years and we're continually growing in that. We're continually growing in his likeness. We are day by day being uh, changed from glory to glory. And we are slowly being changed into the image of Christ. It is the process of sanctification. And what a wonderful and glorious thing it is. Not always painless. A lot of times there's pain and difficulty in that process. But we are in that process, whether we like it or not. And I'm being changed. Are you being changed? Are you willing to be changed? Well, these prophets weren't willing to be changed. And so, Elijah squares off with them and, and nothing happens. And so, finally, when, it got, when it's starting to get late, he builds his own altar. He puts the sacrifice on the altar. And to make things even more ridiculous, he takes water and he pours it around. He has water poured, not only on the sacrifice and the altar, but he digs a trench around it and just saturates the whole thing with water. So there's no possible way that you can light that fire. And he's not worried that a human being can light the fire because he's expecting the fire from God. And when the fire of God falls, it could be an ocean and it could be incinerated. <laughs> God is not limited. And that's exactly what happens. And then after that, it really, the game is over now. Or it should have been anyway, but it didn't finish the, the game, if you will. The game still continued, but it showed in very... Uh, uh, stark uh, contrast the difference between Yahweh, God, Jehovah, Jesus Christ, and these other false gods. And as a result, Elijah takes them down. And probably the people of Israel, him and the people of Israel, brought those 450 prophets of Baal down, right down the hill. And there's a river down there. It's all dried up today, but the river Kishon uh, is there. And that's where he slew those 450 prophets of Baal. Hopefully that would have ended Baal worship, but we know that it did not end it. And so after this great victory, now we come to chapter 19. And because it is a relatively shorter chapter, let's read through it and then we'll come back to it. Notice in verse 1 of chapter 19 it says, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. And then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he rose and ran for his life. And he went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and he came and he sat down under a broom tree, and he prayed that, that he might die. And he said, It is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. 
Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on the coals and a jar of water. And so he ate and he drank, and he lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. And so he arose, and he ate, and he drank, and he went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And so he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've torn down your altars. They've killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. And then he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind tore into the mountain and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after a fire, after the fire, a still, small voice. And so it was. When Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle, and he went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And suddenly a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. And then the Lord said to him, I love this, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint Hazael as king over Syria. Also you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shapheth of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Yehu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Yehu, Elisha will kill. And yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So he departed from there, and he found Elisha, the son of Shapheth, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him, and he was with the twelfth. And then Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him, and he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Please let me kiss my mother and my father, and then I will follow you. And he said to them, Go back again, for what have I done to you? So Elijah turned, Elisha excuse me, turned back from him took a yoke of oxen and slaughtered them and boiled their flesh using the oxen's equipment and gave it to the people, and they ate. And then he arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. So a very interesting uh, passage before us. And obviously tonight we're going to see Elijah running from his life, running for his life because of the wrath of Jezebel. After slaying her prophets, because she was, remember, from a a family of uh, idol worshipers, and they worshipped Baal. She learned it from her father, and she continued to worship Baal as well. And now she had these 450 prophets 
of Baal. And so when Elijah killed them, she immediately put a contract out on his head and went after him and had other people actually go after him to find him, to kill him in like manner. So we're, we're going to see that more tonight. And, and I also want to look at something within this chapter that I think is important, and that is the role of marriage uh, between a man and a woman. Because we're going to see Jezebel really thrusting herself and her authority over her husband Ahab. And we're going to see this um, happen in the 21st chapter, which we have yet to get to. And we will see it later on as well. And we're also going to look at faith versus fear. You know, here this man of God, Elijah, had just did this wonderful spectacle and, and was like a hero of the faith, larger than life, it seems. And then a woman threatens his life and he tucks tail and runs south. It just seems so out of place for a man of that stature and what he had just accomplished, what God had just accomplished through him. But faith versus fear. And also this idea of God speaking in a still, small voice. I like that. I like the fact that God doesn't yell at us. That when he really wants to speak to us, he speaks to us carefully, gently, in a way that is entreatable. In a way that we can understand and we will respond to. Because remember, God knows you better than you know yourself. And when he speaks to you, he knows the precise moment that he needs to speak to you. And he's already prepared your heart. He's waiting for that moment when you're ready. Because he's always ready to speak, but he waits in gentleness. He waits until you're ready to hear it. And sometimes he allows us to go through difficulties to prime us, to get us to that place where we're just like, oh God, I am just so fed up. And he's like, okay, now I got your attention. Now I can speak to you kindly. I can speak to you where you're really going to understand and it's going to make sense to you. And he does. And those moments, unfortunately, for most Christians, including myself, they don't happen every day. God speaks to me through his word, but I can honestly count on probably two hands where God has been you know, in major points in my life, at, at, at different forks in the road of my life, God has always spoken to me in ways that I can't, I can't prove it to you. But I know he's spoken, and sometimes it's through his words, sometimes it's that still, small voice. And then you simply trust him, and you step out in that. And of course, at the end here of this chapter, we're going to see the very beginning of Elijah's ministry, which is, um, we'll see more in Second Kings. We're going to see more of Elisha's ministry but let's go back to verse 1 now. It says, remember Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. Yes, all that he had done, how he had killed her prophets. That's like taking her whole fleet of Mercedes-Benz and pushing them off a cliff in California. She was livid. She was upset. She was willing, you know, just flaming with anger to kill him. To kill and take out Elijah. And I think it's interesting that Ahab does this after the grace that Elijah had showed him. We didn't really talk about this tonight when, when, when I was uh, summarizing chapter 18. But in chapter 18, there was a point in verse 41 where this, this drought had been going on for three and a half years. And you remember in verse 41, it says that Elijah said to Ahab, Go up now and eat and drink, for there is the sound of abundance of rain. So, you know, uh, Elijah is being very kind to 
to uh, King Ahab. He doesn't deserve the kindness, but in the, God's love toward this man is still prevalent. And Elijah is being very respectful to him, saying, hey, you better go up eat because it's going to rain. And this three and a half years of drought is about to end. So if I were you, I'd go up higher into the mountain, have your sacrifice or eat whatever you're going to do. And do that because the rain is coming. Now, if he didn't really care about Ahab, he would have just not even paid attention to him at all and let him starve or let him go hungry for a night. But he doesn't. He tells him. He says, it came to pass in the seventh time, this is verse 41 of chapter 18, that Elijah said, there is a cloud as small as a man's hand rising out of the sea. And so he said, go up and say to Ahab, um, prepare your chariot And go down before the rain stops you. So here is another grace that Elijah had given to Ahab that Ahab didn't deserve. You know, you better get, you know, now that you've eaten, you might want to get down and get down to Jezreel where your, you know, your your temporary housing there. Go down there because it's going to rain. It's going to rain pretty hard. If he didn't care, he would have just let him go and said, you know what, you're a foolish man and what you got you got coming to you but notice that elijah didn't do that he was in complete control because god was in control of him and that's a good question for you and i does god have control over you because if he has control over you then you're in complete control because you're in control of god and he's got control over you see if i'm in control i'm in a big mess Because then I'm just doing my own thing. But when God is in control of my life, I'm in control because he's in control. And people notice that about you. Do you know that? When God is in control of your life? While everybody is frazzled and freaking out, you're the only one who kind of walks in the room and goes, what's what's happening? And they're like, don't you know? It's like, no, and neither do I care. God's still on the throne. There's something about that peace that God does in the heart of a Christian that provokes people. It really does. It provokes them. And they're like, they look at you like a cat testing for new eyes. They're just like, what's the matter with you? And you're like, well, I've got the Spirit of God in me. And I'm not worried. But even after this grace that's been given to him. He still holds a grudge against Elijah and even refers to him as a troubler of Israel or his enemy. In 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 7, that's exactly what Ahab said to him. It says in verse 17, Then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said to him, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? What a way for a king to address a prophet. And yes, From his perspective, from Ahab's perspective, Elijah was a troubler because he didn't have good news to tell the king. And why didn't he have good news to tell the king? Because the king was so engrossed in his own idolatry and his own stubbornness, the only thing that Elijah could share with him is warning and judgment. And so therefore, there was only bad news for him. But at any moment, he could have turned from that. Ahab could have said, you know what, Elijah, everything that you've said so far has come to pass. And you know what? I'm just really tired of fighting against God. Like he would tell Saul, Saul, are you tired of kicking against the goats? Are you tired? Are you you weary of it? Have you gotten to the end of yourself? He even told him that 
He was his enemy in 1 Kings chapter 21, verse 20, which we have yet to get into. Ahab refers to him, it says in verse 20, So Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? And I love what Elijah answered. He says, I have found you, because you have sold yourself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. You sold yourself. Who did he sell himself to? Yes, our adversary, Satan. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 1 Kings. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.